You are listening to Keystone Stock Talk Show, episode 214. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for stopping by. This podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment, and show notes are found at www.keystocks.com. Come back often, and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or on iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter at Keystocks and on Facebook, and keep submitting your stocks via the usual social channels or at our website, keystocks.com, for our Your Stock Artake segment. And we just might review your stock in an upcoming show and let you know if it is a buy, sell, or hold. It's great to be back with you again this week. We have a busy show kicking it off with a quick discussion on the influence, the big five, that being Amazon, Apple, Alphabet, Microsoft, and now NVIDIA have on the S&P 500, which appears to have had a significant bounce back to start the first half of 2023, or has it? I will answer a Your Stock, Our Take question on Pivotry Inc., symbol PVT, on the TSX Venture, an end-to-end provider of e-commerce supply chain and master data management services, which is down 80% from its highs despite strong revenue growth. Does it finally offer value? We'll let you know. Aaron answers a listener question on Canadian-based athletic giant giant Lululemon Athletica, symbol LULU on the NASDAQ, which saw its share price jump last week after it reported strong Q1 2023 revenue growth and plans to double the business by 2026. Brett answers a listener question on enthusiast gaming, symbol EGLX on the NASDAQ, the formerly high-flying esports business, which has seen its stock fall roughly 82% over the past year. Brett will let you know if this revenue grower is showing any signs of earning some real cash from that growth. Finally, Brennan answers a viewer question on pyrogenesis, symbol PYR on the TSX, which designs, develops, manufactures, and commercializes plasma process and systems in Canada. The company previously was a dog of the week, and listener asks us if the recent contract signing gives us reason to be more positive on the stock. Brennan will let you know. So let's get to the show. I'm going to welcome Aaron and my co-hosts here, Brett and Brennan, the Killer Bees. How are you guys doing? Doing well. Good, good. How are you doing? I have to say happy birthday, Aaron Dunn. You had a birthday over this last last week. week. You're now finally able to drink in the U.S. You've hit 21. (laughs) I turned 28. (laughs) I celebrate by drinking this for you right now. Very good. Happy birthday. Happy birthday, man. Glad you remember. Good. Uh, anything else new from you guys over the past week? Brennan went on a date, which he didn't want me to bring up, but I just did. That's uh, okay. <laughs> oh. Yep. It went well. Brennan's been a bit of a player. Yes. No. no. Y- you were out house shopping already on your, what, third date? That's impressive, Brennan. Not house shopping, but we did go and look at the, uh, the Kinsman Lottery uh, show home. There was like $1.4 nice. million in... Uh, so house shopping, in, yeah. It's $24 million? No. Uh, 1.4, you can buy all of Saskatoon for 24 million. You know that, right? I was just going to say it's Saskatchewan. It's that's quite a bit. Um, 1.4 is, uh, quite a bit. Yeah. It gets you quite a bit. uh, It gets you a shed in Vancouver. 
Yes, yeah, sort of. Basically. So speaking of that, yeah. what's the uh, how's the real estate market been doing in Saskatoon? Um, I mean, we're back at a high. I mean, it's great that you actually bring that up because I'll share my screen here. Um, is that what they call a segue? Back at that is yes, that is what we call a segue. Um, but yes, we're so back prices at Prices are back a at a high, or sales are back at a high. Uh, the median price for a home in Saskatoon is back at a at a high. Uh, and this high was previously yeah. uh, July of 2022, so last summer. So, so now they went down $17 and have come up another 17 Yeah, we came saying. down 5%. Now we're back up 5%, I think, to like, you know, median of like 430000 Uh And I just, I, I thought that this was a funny meme. I keep seeing these memes on uh, on Instagram and whatnot, but... It's when you realize you should have bought a house in 2008 instead of being in the ninth grade. Well, I was actually in the eighth grade at that time. Um, but yeah, it would have been nice if, uh, you know. And were you saving your money, Brennan, for down payment? At, at, at that point? <laughs> That's um, all that matters. At that yeah. point? I, I wasn't. I was wasting my money on a uh, depreciating asset uh, being a Subaru WRX. Uh, again, depreciating asset. Uh, not a smart, wise decision, but but you still change. have it. So the love that's went into that and all the that fun you've true. had, just moving you. to yes, your Subaru. That is true. Um, yeah, living it. And my date actually liked the Subaru. Uh, we went for a little cruise on the weekend, and yeah, she enjoyed it. So, oh uh, well, let's hope she's listening. So, uh, yeah, no, I mean, in that meme there, to be honest, you could go back and say that for two thousand. Uh, 1990, 1980, you know, I mean, housing prices, you know, up over time. You know, Brennan Um, had the opportunity between the third and the the eighth grade to be saving for that down payment. Yeah. (laughs) He did truly blow it, did he not? Yeah. Yeah, I did. Well, let's go from that to some kind of interesting, not really news, but a story that was kind of making the rounds last week. The trillion dollar cub club. Uh, accounts for almost all of the S&P 500's gains this year. Uh, I'll get into that, and then you guys can comment on it. So the Trillion Dollar Club, what am I talking about? That would be stocks with a market cap in the U.S. exceeding $1 trillion. So now that comprises Apple, Microsoft, uh, Google's parent alphabet, Amazon, and as of mid-last Tuesday, it's fluctuating a little bit, NVIDIA. Uh, from January to May, the group members have all gained over one third in value. Apple rising um, 35%, Microsoft 39%, Alphabet 41%, Amazon 43%, NVIDIA 176%. And Apple and Microsoft have added over $700 billion in market cap in the past five months, followed by NVIDIA at 640 Alphabet at $460 billion, and Amazon is the laggard here at just $371 billion, just a laggard there. All told, the Trillion Dollar Club's current members have raised their combined market cap by $2.87 trillion since the start of 2023. What's curious is that the total index's rise, the bid cap index, uh, the S&P 500, only a hair more in total, $2.98 trillion. So the club contributed 96% of the year to date, about nine and a half, it's a little above that now, percent gains notched by the S&P 500. The big five market cap jumped by 46.2% from 6.2 million to 9.1 trillion. That's 6.2 trillion to 9.1 trillion. 
that'd be amazing if it went from 6.2 million to 9.1 trillion. But by contrast, the other, so 495 cohorts on the S&P 500 posted a combined gain of just 0.3%. Put simply, without the giant lift from the trillion dollar club, the S&P 500 would be basically flat on the year versus posting what Wall Street has been touting as a strong comeback. So the narrative of a significant bounce back from the S&P 500 in 2023 would not be there without the big five. In fact, the broader market is performing more indicative of what one might expect facing the current macro concerns, but the power of the big five is masking what has been a flat market really over the first half of 2023. If you guys want to comment on that, I'm going to have a drink. Yeah, well, we've we've looked at the numbers before just in terms of size relative, the size of the big five, now the big X relative to the rest of the market. So when we looked last time, you take the S&P 500, it was about 17, 18% of the, of the total market cap was just in those five companies. And now with NVIDIA joining the group and it being the big six, you know, you're going to be looking at over 20%. So you've got 494 companies um, making up, you know, maybe 78% of the market, say, um, and then six companies making up 22%. So that's extremely influential. And it's even bigger when you look at the NASDAQ as well. I mean, S&P 500, these are the, the largest 500 companies in the U.S. publicly traded. Um, but if you look at the NASDAQ, the big five, all of which are NASDAQ traded, NVIDIA as well, so the big six. Um, but previously, they were about 25 I think it's still five. NVIDIA is subbed out for Meta. Ah, uh, right. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's still five. It's uh, it's unbelievable how how, so how much of the influence. At, at now, just under a trillion. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure. Do you, yeah, it should be. So it's not. It's not in the club. Yeah, okay, but you know, yeah, it could happen. It was in the club, I believe, and then stubbed out of the club. Definitely, but it was always. It was. Yeah, it was for sure. Smaller one. Um. So just yeah. over a trillion. I mean, you know, nine hundred ninety-nine billion, one trillion. Wow, <laughs> not much of a difference. <laughs> That's where NVIDIA is now. It's right on the, yeah. it's flipping back and forth. But yeah, it, it, it's but shocking how much. Incredible concentration in just the top handful of companies. Yeah. I and mean, we even looked at Kathy Wood's uh, ARC Innovation Fund. And because it doesn't have any, you know, the Alphabet, the, um, the NVIDIA, or sorry, it does have NVIDIA, but the Amazon. No longer does. No longer has it. It's true. It did. And then. <laughs> Got out famously now, but doesn't have the Apples, the Microsofts, the Amazons, the Alphabets. Um, it's underperformed the market this year, right? So, and, and it's not surprising to see. But it is, it is curious to point out that the market is basically flat you know, without these companies. So, if you don't have participation, fortunately, like two of our top buys are two of those companies for our clients. So, it's you know pulling up returns overall because the market overall. And facing what we're facing in terms of macro concerns, you know, it, it, I could see a flat market at the, at the start of this year, but the market, you know, the S&P is up, uh, you know, 11%. So, you know, that is a strong first six months of the year, but just driven basically by those five companies. And you can add, you know, Meta in there with a strong start. So Meta, 700 well. billion. I took a look, 700 billion yeah. market capital. That's just a wee pop there, really. It's just a little guy. Yeah, at this point. <laughs> yeah. 
All right, did we, I think that's all we had. We can get into our, our first your stock, our take. Uh, I'm going to handle that one. It's on Pivotry, symbol PVT on the TSX Venture. Trades around $2.82, market cap around $75 million. So quick public company history here. It listed post-pandemic uh, in November 2020, quickly traded past the $10 range, and topped out in the 1350 range with a market cap in the $330 million range, uh, kind of in the tech-related bubble at that point. While revenues were growing, the underlying business was nowhere near worth those levels, and it's seen its share price drop from that high of around the 1350 range to $2.82 today. And its current market cap, like I said, is in the $75 million range. The viewer question asks us, essentially, with the 80% drop in that range in the share price, does Pivotry finally offer good value? Let's start with what Pivotry does. They are an end-to-end -end provider of e-commerce, supply chain, and master data management services. They have more than 180 large and mid-market retailers, branded manufacturers, wholesalers, and distributors in North America as clients. The company supports its clients on, on their digital strategies, platform design, build, implementation, and hosting through the on on, and through ongoing support. Now, it has a strong track record of revenue growth. Revenues have jumped from around 49.8 million in 2018 when it started as a pub, or when it goes back to that, I can look at the financials there essentially, uh, to about 101.7 million in 2022. Operating income continues to be negative. However, in 2022, it had a loss of 8.6 million. So let's look at its Q1 2023 financial highlights. First quarter, total revenue is $25 million. That's an increase of just 2.2%, but it is also a decrease of 3.6% if we look at constant currency. Total bookings were $16.1 million. That's a decrease of around 15.3% year over year. The net loss was $1.4 million. That compared to a net loss of one or 3.3 million in the same period of the prior year. So an improvement there, but still a net loss. Adjusted EBITDA was about 900,000. That is 3.5% of total revenue compared to about 200,000 or 0.8% of total revenue. So improving in that from that perspective. Notes from management in the quarterly call stated Q1 saw a healthy level of booking activity, although we are seeing the effects of the of some extended timelines to close deals when compared to prior years experiences when we are hitting new records. So our conclusion here, Pivotry holds a solid balance sheet, 15.8 million in cash, that's 59 cents per share or 21% of its market cap. The company, however, is not profitable over the last 12 months, nor was it cash flow positive or has it even posted adjusted profitability over the past 12 months. Pivotry's price to sales is roughly 0.73, which looks interesting. Based on what we believe are optimistic fiscal year 2023 adjusted EBITDA estimates, the company trades right now at roughly 15 times EBITDA EBITDA. Given the macro environment and the significant slowing in revenue growth to negative 3.6% in the last quarter on a constant currency basis, and the company's inability to produce positive cash flow historically, we're not recommending pivotry at present. Now, what could change this? 
is the company's evolution to products uh, employing its own proprietary IP uh, in products, which should progressively push recurring revenues and margins meaningfully higher. This evolution is still early on, but with its proprietary IP now in about 20% of its data projects, the potential is there. But at this stage, it is just potential. We'd like to see more significant recurring revenues, cash flow, before we recommended the stock. Yeah, good job. Good job. I mean, yeah. obviously, recurring revenue is uh, is something that we like to see. Um, can you remind me, what was the percentage of recurring revenue again? For Well, it's 20% their own, their own IP. They have other recurring revenue services that they rank at about 50% of the business. Mm -hmm. They're ranking in that area. So it's decent if it increases over time. But again, that adjusted EBITDA margin right now, while they're trying to bring it up, is still quite low. And we haven't had a full year of adjusted profitability or cash flow, and there's been no earnings. So it is certainly, you know, it has a good share structure. There is a good cash balance here. If they can start to, you know, continue to uh, put their own IP in products, bring it more to a recurring level in terms of 75, get it up to, you know, 75% from 50. Uh, you know, it is a company that could become interesting, bring those margins up, be cash flow positive. Uh, and they have some cash there, $15.8 million to start making some acquisitions. That would be something that could add to growth. But again, we want to see more profitability in this business. Many of these companies, I'm not saying Pivotry was the exact example, but went public um, at a time when the markets were just overheated for tech, achieved valuations that were just ridiculous uh, at the time. And, you know, have didn't, I'm not sure if a lot of them had the discipline to cash flow because money was so easy to come by in terms of financings. Uh, they didn't have to have the discipline of cash flow to run your business off of that. Uh, many of them have gotten a rude awakening over the past, you know, one and a half to two years. You've seen, I mean, we're talking about many companies on the podcast. We get questions. This stock is down 70, 80, 90%. Is it finally value? Well, you're starting to approach a time where it may become interesting in some of these stories, but many of them either have horrible share structures or they have, um, you know, they just don't have, they still haven't focused on that profitability. If they can bring it around, bring some cash flow online, they might become orphans. That would probably be a time that we see um, the time to buy some of these stories. Pivotry needs to increase its cash flow, then we'll be more interested. And if it truly does have a competitive product or service, then it should be able to drive reasonable profit margins to the bottom mm -hmm. line. And that's how we would validate the Well, if some of these micro caps that have come down want to actually gain attention, they have to show they can be profitable based on their business and not just growing the top line and uh, never producing a profit. In the end, you'll just, I mean, you'll burn the cash and then you'll go to the market and it'll be a vicious cycle of issuing shares. It doesn't look like Pivotry, you know, is in that cycle. So if they can now carve out some of the costs that are eating away at their profitability while still being able to grow, at least in better times, then it's something that could become interesting. It's not there yet. Certainly not the worst of the companies that have had these precipitous drops that we've seen that most of them are very much warranted, but certainly not the worst of that group um, and one we'll monitor. Now we can move on to Aaron's segment. I believe you are looking at uh, your favorite athletic wear, Lululemon. 
Well, I don't know if I would say that it's my favorite, but I can definitely tell you that that the company has managed to, you know, separate my family from a good chunk of cash. Over I've the got years. Lululemon shorts on right now, actually. But you, you can't do. see well, it because I'm in a um, dress Please, please stand up, Brennan, and display that to everyone so we can blank the screen right now. It's <laughs> part of the research program. Burn out our eyes. Please. Okay, so let, let, let's get into it here because Lululemon just released their financial results last week. Um, we'll just walk through the, the stats on the company first. So LULU is the symbol. It trades on the NASDAQ, $360 per share and a $44 billion market cap company. So they are a well-known brand globally, athletic apparel, primarily for, for yoga, um, also for other activities like, like running. Um, so apparel, footwear, accessories, they have... 662 company-owned stores currently in 17 countries, uh, and then also as well e-commerce and wholesale um, distribution channels. So this is a company that was founded in Vancouver in 1998. It actually did trade on the TSX for, for many years, um, but they decided to just go fully onto the U.S. exchange, uh, the NASDAQ, even though they still have their headquarters in Vancouver. They just weren't I'm, my my... Assumption here is they just weren't getting the volumes on the TSX to make it worthwhile. Um, so as I said, company put out Q1 results on June 1st. Immediately after the results were released, there's a 15% plus jump in the share price. Uh, since then, uh, the share price has given back a little bit of its value, about a third of its value. It's trended down slightly. If we look at the one-year chart on Lululemon, um, you know, fairly decent return in a difficult market, but highly volatile, a lot of ups and downs, and certainly not the type of returns um, we've been seeing from some of the tech stocks, certainly. So let's take a look at those Q1 results and see see how the company fared. Uh, revenue, great growth in revenue, 24%, really growth and improvement right across the board. So 24% growth in revenue, uh, gross profit margin was up 3.6 percentage points. Um, income from operations up 54%, earnings per share up about 54%, and also operating income margin as well up about four percentage points. So right across the board, the numbers look very strong. Um, total comparable sales, so same store sales were up 14%. That's 17% on a constant currency basis. The company also reported that their direct-to-consumer net revenue uh, represented 42% of total net revenue compared to 45% last year. So what this means is more of their um, more of their business going through wholesale and less directly to uh, to the end buyer. Company opened up a net seven stores during the first quarter, and uh, the CEO attributed the the strong performance to meaningful acceleration in the China sales trend as well as lower air freight, and uh, the the Q1 did exceed the company's expectations. So the company has put out guidance for the full year. They're looking at about 16, 17% growth in revenue up to about $9.5 billion um, and about 17, 18%, 19% growth in earnings per share um, up to a range of 11.74 to 11.94. What I find really interesting is the company has set a long-term growth target. They call this the power of three times two. Um, and what they're looking to do here is they're looking to double the business in terms of revenue by 2026 relative to 2021 numbers. So they reported revenue of 6.25 billion in 2021 
they want to get that up to 12 and a half billion by 2026. Um, we've seen good trends in profit margins as well. So if they're also able to maintain or improve their profit margin, then that bodes well for um, better, um, higher, higher um, earnings growth. Uh, and as well, the company has been buying back shares. So the share count has been coming down slightly as well. So all of this bodes well for um, good, strong growth and earnings per share potentially. So the company's plan to achieve this, uh, focusing, of course, on product innovation. That's always been the strategy experience. Um, they want to double their, their men's business, like their men's apparel business, uh, double the direct-to-consumer business and quadruple international net revenue relative to 2021. Balance sheet, the company has very strong balance sheet, about $950 million in cash and equivalents, um, $1.1 billion roughly in, in debt. So that gives them about $150 million of net debt. So given the size of the company, this is very low net debt. There's almost no leverage, very little leverage on the balance sheet. Um, so strong financial position that this company is sitting on right now. And then a quick look at valuation. So if we're to take the $360 share price, you know, look at the midpoint of the 2023 EPS guidance, that puts them at about 30 times earnings. So I would say that that this is you know roughly around fair value in the near term. Now, if the company is able to um, to achieve its 2026 target, then you should be looking at earnings per share in the range of say 20 to 25 dollars, depending on if margins continue to improve and if the um, if the company continues to buy back shares. So at that range, you're looking at the company trading at 16 to 18 times their expected 2026 or targeted 2026 earnings. Now, of course, a lot of things can happen between now and then. Then this is a very strong consumer brand. But one of the risks of investing in a consumer brand is, of course, that um, it will lose popularity. Now, Lululemon's been around for a long time. I don't see it as having a, a large risk of losing popularity over the next couple of years. But that's always a concern. Really, we see strong fundamentals pretty much right across the board, a bit of a premium valuation. If you're looking long term on the stock, it's it's very interesting. Um, you know, certainly we've looked in on the company in the past and it's traded at higher valuations. So uh, definitely an interesting stock and, and worthwhile to take a deeper look at. <clears throat> yeah, certainly interesting, good business. And, you know, if it's made it all the way to Saskatoon, it's penetrating almost every market by now. I mean... There I can't believe here, it yeah. already made it there for you. Yeah, no, it's 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 a good a good solid business. Um, if it continued to, to grow, and I was uh, I was impressed by their fa the fact they want to double business. Yeah, and that's that's really that's pretty aggressive. Brought my attention. Well, especially when you're looking at a 44 billion market cap company. That's right? what I'm saying. I mean, yeah. if you're yeah. a you know a 20 million dollar company, yeah, doubling the size of the business in five years isn't is is something you better be great. doing, or else, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's almost expected. Uh, but for yeah. a company their size, it's it's yeah. impressive. But they, they, given the growth that the company has put out before, the strong balance sheet, the flexibility that it has, I think that that is uh, a, a very achievable target for them. Um, it, it doesn't look overly aggressive at all. It's aggressive, but not overly aggressive. And you did say they're benefiting from China, right? The, it, I mean, there is a reopening there. We were just, re I was, you know, reading the conference call uh, from Expel, a company we have a coverage there that has its paint protection film in um, China. They, they had a significant slowdown in the 
the Q1 was probably a trough and now it's really supposed to pick up for the rest of the year. The, the numbers would be flat year over year, but it, you know, it's really starting to pick up there. So I do wonder like a company like Canada Goose in the retail sector that has exposure to that, uh, the Chinese consumer as well, how that will affect them if it's positive over the course of this year. So we can look into that as well. Yeah. It's cool. All right. Before we move on. Sorry, Ryan. It's cool too that like they are focusing more on men's clothing because I feel like historically there was kind of like a stigma for men to be wearing Lululemon. I don't know if you guys ever heard of that or if there was any kind of stigma that you guys heard. We're strong, confident men, so we don't care. Well, I just, even back in the day when I was, you know, in (laughs) elementary school, one of our teachers had a Lululemon sweater and, you know, all the kids were were bugging him, um, you know, at that time. Was this kid you? No, but there were several kids in the class and uh, maybe I was one of them. I can't remember. Uh, either way, I own, you know, Lululemon. It's quality. Proudly. You know, pro- it is. It, it is quality products. So I think that that is definitely an area where they can expand. Um, and like I've said on the podcast before, you know, I I know people who, you know, Lululemon, it was one of those stocks in their portfolio that absolutely, you know, changed uh, their financial well-being. Um, you know, that's what we're looking for. Yeah. I mean, this is one where, you know, if you were able to buy it on a pullback where there's not been a change necessarily in the business or the outlook, there, there, there could be a good opportunity there. And again, I mean, I think that there could potentially be a good opportunity over the next three to five years as well. Um, even at the current valuation, but, um, certainly if, if you got it, you know, a little bit cheaper than, and the value starts to look, uh, not, not too bad. Yeah, just need to hit those targets, like you said. For sure. All right, let's move to Enthusiast Gaming, EGLX. Brett, this former high-flying esports business, you've got your comments on this company. Yeah, so you actually said at the start uh, the revenue is growing, but uh, that's no longer the case. Uh, Brennan looked at this company about uh, two years ago, and it was growing at the time, but it hasn't really since. So let's, let's get into it. Enthusiast Gaming Symbol EGLX. It trades on both the NASDAQ and TSX under the same symbol. It is currently trading at about 58 cents on the TSX with a market cap of about 88 million Canadian. The stock has, however, fallen about 82% over the past year. So really, what does the company do? The company's core activities revolve around esports, media, content creation, and entertainment revolving around video games in general. The company has over 50 websites, over 700 YouTube channels, 11 TikTok channels, 12 esports rosters, and 500 content creators. As well, the company operates gaming events across the globe. The company produces revenue from sponsorship, ads, subscriptions, and sales from esports events. The company really likes to target the Gen Z and millennial audience, with 73% of its audience is of those two generations. So, as maybe, well, as maybe Aaron as well. He, he might be into that. So the company is quite young. It really started as a public company in 2019, and it's really pursued aggressive acquisitions over the past few years. The company grew rapidly between 2019 and 2022, but has since tapered down its acquisitions. The acquisitions, they range from their esports team, Luminosity, which they acquired in 2019, to U.GG, a data-driven website for League of Legends, and more recently, they expanded to Valorant and World of Warcraft. To fund these acquisitions, the company has continuously issued shares directly or in exchange for the other company. 
The share count has over doubled from 72 million shares to, to 150 million. And that initial share count was at Q2 2022. And now it's Q1 2023. It would not be unlikely at this point to see the company do a rollback or share consolidation as it will likely be delisted if they don't from the NASDAQ as they're trading under $1 per share and they receive their 188 notice. So if effectively, if they can't raise the uh, 10-day average trading price above $1, you get delisted from the NASDAQ. And only what will happen with these companies is a week before or a month before, if they know they're not going to hit it, they'll roll back their shares just to stay listed on the com- or on the exchange. So with the dilution, you'd hope for the revenue to grow at least, but that's just not been the case over the past year. EGLX revenue fell 9% to $42.9 million for the first quarter of 2023. The largest segment, media and content creation, representing 83% of the revenue, fell by 15% to $35.5 million off the back of lower video views and lower CPM, which is just how much uh, their advertisers are paying to them per click, effectively. But it was partially offset by stronger growth in brand solutions, which are really those in-depth uh, ads and sponsorships, effectively. As part of his cost cutting strategy, the company was able to increase its gross profit by quite a bit to 39, the gross margin, I should say, to 39.1% from 28.6% in the prior year. So despite lower revenue, gross profit was able to be 24% higher at 16.8 million. So obviously that's a good sign as far as gross profit goes. But EGLX still had a net loss of 8.7 million, which is an improvement from their prior year's loss of 11 million, but that's still a long ways before they can even get near profitability, especially given the lower revenue. So that brings me to the balance sheet. It's just weak. EGLX has a net debt position of 15 million now and a current ratio of 0.9. The company is constantly uh, having negative operating cash flows, barring one quarter since it's been a public company. So as the expenses and liabilities play out, you see cash coming out of the company and they will likely need to raise more uh, capital within the next year. And their current debt is not cheap at all. They pay CEDAR plus 7.5%, which is a floating rate plus 7.5%, which the last quarter had an effective rate of debt of 11%. So if the debt is more expensive, the bottom line will be hit if they have to reissue, which they've been needing to. As well, if they were to go the other route and go the equity route, their share price, as I said before, has dropped over 80%, so they need to issue a lot more shares to get the same bang for their buck as they did in the prior year or two years ago. And that would cause massive dilution to the already diluted existing shareholder. So really, our take, the company's just not close enough to profitability. With this balance sheet being weak, it's difficult to see value being created for the shareholder in the near future, if ever. EGLX does have a new CEO, which could be a bright spot for the company if they are able to start turning this around. But in the near term, that's hard to see just given the financial reality of the company. So I, I wouldn't expect it to change in the near future. I'm not expecting this to be some turnaround story. I could be wrong. I always like to be wrong when I'm having a negative view, but it cannot be a recommendation that by any means at this time for us. So lower revenue, negative cash flow, stretched balance sheet, and extremely negative share price momentum yeah (laughs) everything else is great everything else is perfect yeah other than that yeah yeah. i mean this is a company that originally i believe three entities merged together Mm -hmm. Uh, one of them was uh the from the owner of the vancouver canucks francesco aquilini was involved i'm not sure if he even owned shares yeah (laughs) 
In that case, we're not going That's anywhere. That's the worst thing. That's worse than any of the other things. It's true. So, yeah, I mean, I, I just, I mean, for, for us, just looking at the fundamentals, they never made sense on this business. It was a high flyer at one point. Uh, the, the, the cash flow just hasn't been there. It had revenue growth, you know, over, uh, you know, I think 2019, 11 million, 2020, 72, 2021, 164, then 2022, 202. Now it's trailing back. But even operating income was always significantly negative uh, over those periods. Like 2022 operating income was just negative. You know, for, they lost 47.8 million operationally. Um, it's just, it just wouldn't meet our criteria. It's not surprising to see the stock absolutely tank. And, you know, with the financial position it's in right now, uh, I don't see a good resolution in the near term. Uh, you have to cut costs, actually be profitable. I'm not sure this business can do that. So, yeah. you know, just uh, not one. We keep getting questions on it and keep saying uh, the underlying fundamentals don't justify the price and it keeps going down. And, and I will just add quickly to it as well. This isn't just a them company issue. It's a really a indicative of the whole industry. Like if you want to look at another company that uh, IPO'd in 2021, I believe, phase. They IPO'd at about a billion dollar valuation. And now they're starting to look into even uh, liquidation, some people are saying, and, and that sort of thing. And it's the same sort of industry, content creation, esports team. It's a very hard industry. It's, it's very low moat and it's very competitive at this time. And it's pretty much a race to the bottom for these companies for their content creation, which is it's very hard to get into, I would say. I got to say, it's funny because I'm looking at analyst estimates right now. Um, and, you know, we just went over quickly over the fundamentals of the business right there. But let's look at uh, Canaccord is a buy right now, 350 target. Um, Scotiabank, buy 325 target. B. Riley, buy 375 target. Wainwright, buy $4.03 target. I'm glad they got the three cents in there. RBC Capital, $3 target. So that's RBC and Haywood, $4.70. Those are the targets on this business uh, from those analysts. Um, not sure how I can see them justifying those targets, to be honest. So That would I mean, have been close to the price about a year ago. So I'm guessing yeah. those are a bit outdated and they were just doing the usual plus 20, 30% effectively from the current price at the time. Likely. Guess. I mean, mm -hmm. they say right here, like the date came out for the Haywood came out on the fifth, uh, the fifth, so May 15th. So not even that long ago. No, that one or that. Okay. I'm yeah. wrong. <laughs> and, and the RBC is May 15th too. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah it's that, May 15th. Sorry. Wrong. And so is That's, the Wainwright one. Yeah, so that it's just concerning. <laughs> Well, it's, it's, they like to do financings. I, I think you can see there's a financing, uh, you know, on, on the docket for this business to keep the lights out on the long term, keep the lights on, sorry. Um, and uh, that's, you know, you see these high targets from these firms that really aren't investing in these businesses. They just want to get investment banking business. I mean, uh, I'll just put it frankly out there. And that, that, I think that's what you're seeing in this case. So buyer beware if you're buying into any of those financings. Let's move to Brennan. You've got uh, one final company here. It is Pyrogenesis, correct? Uh, it's a follow-up. We've had this company, uh, questions on this company in the past. We've interviewed management uh, on one of our road trips. And, uh, you know, it seemed like an interesting business. But again, once again, 
high flyer fundamentals never really justified the price. Um, if they can execute on uh, a couple areas of their business, one of the areas of business that they're looking at seems to have a large end market, but those sales really haven't come to fruition as of yet. And the stock price is languishing. Yeah. Thanks for doing it for me. I think we can end the show now. And uh, All right. We're done. Kidding. No, but you did uh, hit the nail on the head. And um, the reason I ended up covering this is just because we ended up getting a, a comment on YouTube. So, uh, so yes, uh, Pyrogenesis Canada Inc. PYR on the TSX. Um, so the last time that I covered Pyrogenesis was uh, last fall as a dog of the week after the stock was down 72% year to date and down about 40% in a month. And at the time, the stock traded at about $1.08 and had a market cap of about $187 million. And like I said, the reason I'm covering the stock is we received a comment on YouTube stating that the company got its first contract. And there were many other comments on our YouTube video, which both ripped into me, as well as some agreeing with my analysis that in fact, the company was a dog. And I just think that it is kind of funny that I received so much hate. As I stated in my conclusion, Pyrogenesis has potential, but considering the decline in revenues and its inability to generate profit leading to the collapse in its share price, it was in fact a dog. And I still stand by that. So uh, looking at the company, um, today the stock price and market cap are essentially the same uh, as when I covered it a year ago. I believe the stock actually closed at a dollar today and it has a market cap of about $190 million. So Pyrogenesis designs, develops, manufactures, and commercializes plasma processes and systems in Canada, and they provide engineering and manufacturing expertise, cutting-edge contract research, uh, as well as turnkey process equipment packages to the defense, metallurgical, mining, additive manufacturing, uh, which includes 3D printing, as well as oil and gas and environmental industries. And a few of its segments here are it offers its gross right, a process for enhancing metal recovery, including aluminum and zinc industries. It's pure VAP, a process to produce high purity metallurgical and solar grade silicon from quartz, as well as its pure VAP nano silicon reactor, which is designed to transform silicon for use in lithium ion batteries. The company provides its plasma torches for replacing fossil fuel burners. It offers plasma arc waste destruction systems for waste destruction, such as on ships or large boats or ships. Uh, as well, uh, the company also provides engineering and manufacturing expertise. So looking at the recent uh, updates by the company, uh, number one, on May 30th uh, of this year, Pyrogenesis signed an initial five-ton order for its uh, atomized titanium metal powder uh, produced using the company's next-gen plasma uh, atomization system, which includes a conditional agreement for six additional tons uh, with a down payment currently received, and the powder will be used for 3D printing. Now, there were no dollar values placed in the press release of the contract announcement, but I found on the web, uh, due to the from the help of Brett, uh, that about 2,000 uh, kilograms of titanium powder sells for about $1,500 Canadian. So the initial <laughs> kilograms, sorry. Thank you. Thank you. Two kilograms. kilograms. Two kilograms. Thank you, Brett. Uh, so the initial 5,000 kilograms would equate to about 3.7 million, which yes, is positive for the business, but I do not see it as a substantial catalyst for the business's fundamentals, at least in the near term. Now, number two, 
Uh, on May 23rd of 2023, Pyrogenesis received approval for an 180-day uh, extension to continue to trade on the NASDAQ until November 20th of this year, as by this date, it must have a closing bid of at least $1 uh, US per share for a minimum of 10 consecutive days of trading, or it will be delisted. And right now, the shares trade at about eight, uh, $0.78 cents, uh, US on the NASDAQ. And realistically, this news isn't a huge deal as if the stock doesn't meet the requirements by the date, the company will likely just conduct the share consolidation to get the price back up into compliance. And finally, looking at the fundamentals here or the financials. So the most recent quarter was Q1 of 2023 and revenue was down 38% to 2.6 million. Net loss was 6.1 million or a loss of about 3 cents per share. And adjusted EBITDA also came in at a larger loss than the same period last year, losing about 5.8 million this year compared to a loss of 2.8 million last year. And as at March 31st, 2023, the company had a cash position of about 1.9 million and debt and leases of about 6.9 million, providing a net debt position of about $5 million. And keep in mind, this cash balance is down significantly from Q1 of 2021, when it had a cash position of 26.3 million. And once we subtract the debt and leases, it had a net cash position at that time of $23 million. So much different. So with its dwindling cash reserves, unless the business can actually get into profitability and cash flow, the business will likely have to issue shares or take on debt in the future to keep the lights on. And because of the lack of profitability, EBITDA and cash flow, we can only value the stock off of revenue, which right now it trades with a trailing price to sales multiple of 11 times. And as of May 15th of this year, Revenue expected to be recognized in the future related to the company's backlog is about 30.6 million, which management says is expected to occur over a maximum period of approximately three years. And just to do some napkin math, even if we expected that backlog to be realized in 2023 alone and added on top of its trailing sales to get us 48 million in potential sales for fiscal 2023, which is unlikely the company would still trade at four times forward 2023 sales. So to conclude, I'm going to say this again, as I did last time, pyrogenesis has potential, and we could look at potential future catalysts, as a few on YouTube wanted me to point out. But to us, the business has yet to validate its business model as it continues to post declining sales and lacks profit or even EBITDA, as a matter of fact. Now, someone could invest in the business to speculate on its future catalysts, but again, to us at Keystone, we do not believe that a long-term successful portfolio is built by buying stocks like Pyrogenesis and speculating on potential catalysts, which may or may not lead the business to produce cash flow. Plus, I would like to say that its recent contract received for titanium metal powder may be interesting, but as it sits right now, the contract is somewhat insignificant in driving an inflection point in the fundamentals. Now, all in all, to us, the risk continues to outweigh the potential reward for an investment. And please, for the keyboard warriors on YouTube, this is not to say that the stock will not do well over the next three to five years. There could be a significant contract announced for its plasma torches, but as it sits right now, for our growth at a reasonable price investment philosophy, we would not recommend the stock to our clients. And I think that one of the YouTube comments really summed it up well where the, the individual said, the company may do well someday, but you can't deny 
it's a dog right now. And I agree with that wholeheartedly. Okay. Yeah. I think you're being generous, uh, Brennan. Thank you. <laughs> I'm also wondering, why did you block out the commenters? I, I don't know. I just, realistically, they're all public. So anyone can see them on YouTube, but, uh, sure, I yeah. just thought I'd, I'd be a nice guy, you know, just in case if they didn't want me calling. Yeah. I mean, listen, at the end of the day, um, I'm not an expert on plasma torches. Are any of you guys experts on plasma torches? Can't say I am. No, no. But, um, what I can say is that if you have a compelling product or service, it should show up in strong revenues and profitability, right? So that's, yeah. that's the test. That's how you validate the business first and foremost, right? Once you see that minimal, and that's a minimal level of validation, once you see that minimal level of validation, then you start digging into the industry, the market, a lot of other things, right? If you're going to assume that you know the potential of some very complex technology that in my opinion, even, you know, the world's foremost experts can't really say what the financial potential is, even though it's an interesting technology, maybe um, there's so many other factors in play, like changing market conditions, competitive market conditions, great product, but can you produce it at a price that people are going to want to buy, right? All of this shows up in the financials. So when we look at the financials, and we say, well, this company is, is, has lower revenue. It's losing a ton of money. So we wouldn't touch it. It's not that the financials are the end of the research process. They're the very beginning. But you have to have some type of an indication, some type of a validation that the, that, that the product is saleable and that you can sell it and actually make money doing it, right? And then from there, it's like, okay, well, let's, let's dig now deeper into this technology, right? Because there are... Yeah. There are countless companies out there that have technologies that look interesting and they can paint a very pretty picture on what the market potential is. Right. But you, nobody can be an expert in every one of those industries. Nobody can be an expert in every one of those technologies. And again, even if you are, it doesn't mean that you can accurately predict the financial potential, right? Because there's just, there's just so many factors in play. I look at this one, they've lost $60 million in the last six quarters right? They have almost no cash on the balance sheet. I couldn't remember. Did you say that there was some debt? Uh, they did a little bit, but not, to be honest, it's not okay. that much. It's but primarily still, leases. Minimal it's cash on the leases. balance sheet, losing on average about $10 million per quarter. What what can you say? From an investment perspective, what can you really say? Yeah, exactly. And like the amount of time that we hear people say, oh, this is going to be a world changer. How do you know? We've uh, you heard know, that how many times have we so heard much. that line over 25 years, right? And whenever we hear that, typically it's not. Typically when mm -hmm. there's like so much promotion and so much yeah. excitement, it's it, it doesn't turn out, right? It's, it's... You're muted. Ryan, you're muted. Yeah, I got it. Is you're it good. good now? I'm back? You're back. Yeah, Aaron's talking about them having actual fundamentals or financials before we're going to invest. Now there's many investors out there, often salesmen that'll tell you it's too late. Once they have the, those revenues show up, it's too late. It's, it's not a good time to invest. You've already taken all the gains out of the stock that what I can tell you is that is an absolute fallacy in the markets that, you know, it's too late to invest when there's sales there. I'll give you some real world examples, not just this, oh, this technology is going to drive the stock up tenfold over the next year once the sales come in. Uh, Hammond Power is a company at the start of last year. 
that we had uh, on our focus buy list as a top recommendation. Well, the company was trading at like six times earnings then and had exposure to one of the biggest trends, uh, the electrification of the world. Uh, it, it sold into EVs. Now, you could buy that business, establish sales, growth a path ahead of it, trading at a reasonable price, and you didn't have to wait for a product to come online that gives you this blue sky potential. Well, Hammond Power went on to, you know, it was trading at $12 at the start of last year. It's $42, $43 today. The best performing revenue producing stock on the entire Toronto Stock Exchange basically over that time. Well, you could buy that not waiting for a product to be announced or released that would push that stock to the stratosphere. Well, you just, I mean, these companies aren't easy to find. If they were, the markets would be simple, but you have to look, you have to balance whether you're buying growth at a reasonable price, whether that growth can continue, but they are out there. The businesses are out there that can do this in your portfolio without the downside that a pyrogenesis has when it's trading at $11 or $5 or $6 because it's not backed up by those solid cash flows, underlying financials, and you're always just waiting for the next great product release or the great sales contract that is just sitting there uh, somewhere out in the ether for these companies. Find good businesses that are doing it now that have catalysts ahead of them, and you'll be far better off in your portfolio than companies that haven't done it or aren't doing it right now and have the potential to do something in the future, just as a general rule. It's not easy to find those businesses, but they are out there. That's what we're trying to do on a daily basis for our clients, and that's what you should do in your portfolio if you want to hold on to some of your cash and also create the gains that you're looking for to change your future and your portfolio over the long term. So that's my soapbox to end off today. I believe we've done all four, right? We're good. We're ending this off. Anything further you guys had? or I think that's all right. For me. So smash that subscribe button, uh, rate or on YouTube, rate and review us if you're just listening to the podcast on iTunes, uh, and we'll continue to post our content on a weekly basis. If you want us to answer a question, send it in via any of the socials or email or go to our website, uh, Your Stock Our Take will answer any questions on stocks out there that you're looking at or we have in coverage right now. As always, I'd like to wish you profitable investing. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.